Morning, everybody. We're just waiting for the last few attendees to come in from the lobby, and then we'll get going. Good morning and welcome to Strategy Cafe, everybody. Um, it's time for your shot of early morning leadership inspiration. Thanks to everyone that signed up. Um, it's wonderful to have you on board. I hope it's going to be an informative and useful session. For those that don't know me, I'm David. I'm head of marketing and a strategy facilitator at Alembic. This is my first time presenting Strategy Cafe. Uh, and what better way to start than on the topic of leadership communication? Uh, I'm going to stick my neck out here early, folks, and state that I'm not an expert at communicating. I don't mind admitting that. If I could find an L-plate, I'd be wearing it. Uh, that said, I'm competent and I'm going to uh, hold this session together and lead you through for what's going to be a great start to Thursday. Uh, I'm pleased to be joined by some of the Olympic team today. So if you wouldn't mind, guys, just introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Nick. Um... Hopefully you all know me by now, but I'm the founder of Alembic Strategy and um, lead uh, on coaching and on strategy facilitation. Okay. Um, hi, everybody. I'm Rosanna. Um, I'm a strategy facilitator. Um, great to see you all on here, and I just hope everybody enjoys today's strategy cafe. Yeah, morning. I'm Matt. I'm uh, another one of Alembic's strategy facilitators. I mean, good to see everyone here this morning. Thanks, guys. Um, our regular Strategy Cafe audience will be aware that we've been running the coping in a crisis uh, theme since the lockdown began back in March. So as we begin to emerge from the pandemic and thankfully work towards recovery, um, this is going to be the final instalment in that series. All the webinars are available on our YouTube channel, and you can find the link to that at the bottom of um, each page on our website. And um, on the Strategy Cafe Get Involved page uh, itself. We also send out emails and things, so you, you should be able to find your way to those nice and easily. Uh, so please share them if you know somebody that might be uh, interested in any of the topics that we've covered. Um, we'll, we'll get something out to you that um, highlights exactly what we've done in the past. So just a quick heads up on Strategy Cafe. Uh, the next one sees the format revert to the regular routine with Nick at the helm, um, with guests rather than us, the Olympic team sitting in. Um, I'll give you more details about that towards the end. Um, but there'll be a page on the website that will give you some information as well after this. So um, keep a look out. Um, so on to today, the plan is to finish by around 9, 9.45, um, but we'll stay open at the end if anybody wants to stick around and ask us questions. Um, it seems to be quite popular at the moment, so I'm quite happy to do that. Uh, but without any further delay, I'm going to push on. Uh, so to get things started on the topic of communication, I'm going to kick off with some examples of good and bad. So first up, the bad. Um, some of you might have heard this tale before, um, but it really demonstrates how a speaker's choice of language can mislead 
a listener. So in April 1951, during the Korean War, some 650 soldiers and officers from the 1st Battalion Gloucestershire Regiment were deployed to the most important crossing on the Imjin River. Their objective was to block the traditional invasion route to Seoul. The Chinese had sent an entire division of some 10,000 men against the isolated Gloucesters in a major offensive to take the whole Korean Peninsula. Eventually, the small force was gradually surrounded and overwhelmed. And after two days of fighting, an American from the United Nations contingent, a Major General Robert H. Saul, asked British Brigadier um, Thomas Brodie, how are the Gloucesters doing? A simple enough question, but the response from the Brigadier was with typical English understatement. And he, and he said, a bit sticky. Things are a bit sticky down here. So you can imagine to American ears, this didn't sound particularly desperate. In fact, it sounds perfectly manageable. So the US general ordered them just to stand fast and tough it out. But the British troop quickly became overrun by the Chinese and sadly reduced their number from 650 down to about 150. So you can see that the surviving Gloucesters had to be eventually rescued by column of tanks. Um, Quite a tragic tale, but it does demonstrate um, the importance of the language that we use. Language matters. I think that's the point that we're making here. Um, and so whilst we can't liken a battlefield scenario to business in this um, in, in this way, but it, 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 there is some synergy between the language that's used. So we're now going to move on to um, an example of good communication. Now, I'm sure everybody knows this chap. Um, Steve was legendary for his presentational style, uh, pretty much the go-to guy for slick and punchy comms. He had an amazing ability to speak with passion and make his groundbreaking technology um, understandable and memorable and accessible through storytelling and its uh, demonstration. And he typically did this by focusing on one idea at a time to hold the attention of the audience to a single point. And he did so with great attention, not only to his words, but his voice and surroundings. And his choice of clothes was nearly always jeans and a plain black round neck jumper. There's a consistency to that. This was so that he didn't detract attention from the product that he was attempting to draw focus to. And he spent so much time perfecting his masterful storytelling uh, that he developed a style that could build an audience expectation in a way which only a few can emulate now. And through the use of very, very clear and simple words, messaging, he could communicate product topics with an ease that belied their complexity. So I'd be interested to know um, if any of our audience have spent time perfecting their own presentational style and how aware of it are you? Is it something that you've considered and are actually conscious of? Um, so uh, for those that aren't familiar with the system, you can throw in your questions by the chat box in the um, control panel there. Um, and we'll pick these up and attempt to get to them throughout the course of the session. Uh, so just jumping back to Steve, uh, he, he lived by the principle that um, we think our company will be the best possible company if every single person working here understands the whole master plan and can use that as a yardstick to measure decisions against. 
We think all our decisions will be made better if all people know that. He was very clear about his communications. Um, and we, so we talked specifically about decision-making in the previous webinar, but within the context of communication, being able to connect with clarity across an aligned organization will undoubtedly give you an advantage in your business. So I'm gonna throw this one out to the team. How can really good communication be used to an advantage uh, in an organization? Um, I know Rosanna wants to kick off with a response to this one. Yeah, I, I, I think the point here is about um, where the responsibility of communication lies. And, you know, Steve Jobs is a really good example of this because he saw it as his responsibility to communicate the vision and the, the purpose of the organization to every single employee. Um, and so in your example of poor communication, it's interesting because I, I guess it poses the question, did that um, brigadier see it as his responsibility to actually communicate the the gravity and the severity of what was going on. And, and so I think the key point is around, actually, if you want to be understood, that responsibility lies with you and how you're communicating, not how the other person receives it. Um, so even if you think you're doing a really good job of communicating and articulating, it's meaningless if the other person hasn't understood for whatever reason, and that responsibility always sits with you and the message you're trying to get through um, and I think Steve Jobs is just a fantastic example of you know really owning that responsibility. For sure, consider your audience. Nick? Yeah I agree um, and I think um, um, to the audience out there you know maybe um, pile in with your comments or questions in the questions area for us and we can pick them up as we go along but um, it's self-evident from the two contrasting con uh, contributions from David that um, like we have one epic example of maybe maybe good um, but if this was easy um, everyone would have it right and there wouldn't be any problems so really from a leadership perspective I think communication is at the heart of everything it's um, your job as a leader to understand how to influence the people around you and so therefore you need to understand what impact you're having on people emotionally and it's so complicated isn't it because um, you know we can get confused about words um, it can depend on how you feel about the person speaking whether you trust them whether you don't trust them other things going on in your life um, maybe just how you're feeling right now whether you're nervous whether you're confident already um, and even whether you're you know kind of in listening mode or not so um, my key point here is that you definitely picking up on Rosanna's uh, comment you need feedback because actually understanding how your message is being received is the most important thing and getting that right is something you we all have to work on presumably Steve Jobs worked on that I imagine he wasn't perfect from day one and worked hard on it um, can I just add in there? Yeah, sure, I, think, sure. um, I think that's a really important point about feedback. And I think we'll all resonate with the sense of, I'm not sure they've understood me. And now it's hard to calibrate that. And sometimes that can feel awkward. And so do I have the confidence to check their understanding? Now, that might feel a bit uncomfortable. Um, but um, I was just going to share, because the, um, 
you know, Nick's taught me a lot over the years. And one of the way that he explains sort of quite complicated, more complex things to me is that he'll explain it and then ask me to retell it back. Um, and whilst at times that, you know, quite annoying sometimes, but actually it really helps me understand, but it also gives Nick the confidence to, that I have either got it right or not right. And it, it, that's the feedback, but it also as the recipient of that information helps me have the confidence that I've understood. So it's, it's the feedback is important for both parties. Um, and so I think that's just a really nice way of just checking the understanding um, with the other person. Confirmation yeah. to check information is registered for sure. Matt, yeah, go for it. Yeah, I, I absolutely uh, I agree with that. I, I think it's really important to, uh, to be able to take note of different communication styles. Um, everybody communicates in a slightly different way and not all of those styles are going to be perfectly compatible. Um, so when you're working with people, uh, particularly people who you haven't been working with for a very long time, um, it's important to take note where you might see a communication style which is more closed off, uh, for example, so you can uh, work to adapt your style to work um, to work better with anybody who's not a naturally good fit with you. Um, yeah, and the Alembic team's perfect example, a breadth of people with lots of different communication styles. Um, yeah, everybody communicates differently. Yeah, you've really got to take stock of all the different needs that uh, the individuals have in your organisation. And I wonder how many um, of our audience in their businesses work towards doing that. Are they conscious of it and do they put effort into it? Because it certainly really rewards. We're going to move on, guys. Um, on to the next slide. Thank you for your contributions there. Um, so let's look at the definition of the word communication here. A very quick Google search suggests it means uh, the imparting or exchanging of information by speaking, writing or using some other medium. I mean, come on, we all do it all the time. It's easy, right? Uh, I mean, what's the big deal about talking? Why is it so important? Well, um, it's important because there's more than just you in the equation. There are others. Um, I believe it was Ernest Hemingway that said, uh, when people talk, listen completely most people never listen and that's so true um now i'm not suggesting that the whole problem uh with communication lies with the listener but it is an aspect that cannot be controlled by the speaker the communicator and we'll look at the complexity between speaker and listener on the next slide uh in a bit more detail um but how how does the need for communication change when we add the word leader into the mix um the level of responsibility held by the leader uh, ramps up the significance of communication. Um, whether it's words spoken or an email written or a picture taken, um, what about the choice of language and the level of detail um, or the way you speak? Uh, what part do these play in your communication? Um, I feel the, the key thing to remember here is that it's a two-way street. So we'll move on to the two-way street. Um, the act of communicating usually requires more than one person, I mean, unless you're talking to yourself, um, especially if you're speaking, um, you'll probably have a listener. Maybe there's more than one listener, maybe there's hundreds or even thousands hanging on to every single word that you say. But whether there's one or a thousand, this is where the challenge begins. 
because unscrambling your thoughts to, into a cohesive and simple message is a fundamental requirement of those in leadership roles. The ability to take information, uh, whether it's a set of instructions or an update or a simple exchange with somebody, uh, you've got to convert it into language and then send it to the listener. And this is where the skill lies. No matter how simple the information might seem to you, somewhere between the speaker and the listener, the risk of misinterpretation exists. Note to Brigadier. The scope for translation of your thinking, intentions or objectives can be so easily skewed through the use of the wrong vocabulary. Uh, I've got personal experience of this. Uh, I'm sure many of our listeners do. Um, uh, in fact, if I had a pound for every single time I'd misinterpreted Mrs. Gray's instructions, I'd be broadcasting this webinar from my yacht in the Bahamas. Um, and we're all prone to it. Um, so I'm going to throw this again out to the listeners to contribute their experience of misunderstanding, uh, and hopefully we can get some of those shortly. Um, this is a great from someone um, I know the Alembo team um, have read pretty extensively. Um, once you have a strategy, you have to get there through your people. You have to listen, communicate, persuade, inspire, all of which are emotional intelligence skills. So let's look at the role of emotional intelligence in communication. We've all heard of IQ, uh, intelligence quotient. But what about EI? Uh, it's becoming much more popular, I know. Um, EI is emotional intelligence. So whilst IQ is designed to measure intellectual intelligence, um, indicating cognitive abilities like learning and understanding, EI measures our ability to identify and manage emotions, um, both in ourselves and in others. And for anybody that's interested, um, we quite frequently reference uh, uh, Lisa Feldman's book on emotions. Um, ask us if you're interested. AI is central to the ability to motivate others, and it starts with self-awareness and extends out to social awareness. And with self-awareness, we're more able to tap into our own intrinsic motivation, recognize the same traits in others around us. Uh, there are studies which indicate motivated people are much more adaptable, that they're um, better in the workplace when it comes to change, for example, and more, have generally more positive attitude to work and life and motivated staff help to do things like spread your organization's reputation or reduce rates of absenteeism and improve their performance and the team around them's uh, profit um, they also tend to work harder to achieve their own goals and have a greater sense of urgency than non-motivated people so with these obvious benefits in mind, it's pretty clear that employers are equally responsible for their team's motivation levels. Um, in creating an environment that helps them to become more intrinsically motivated, both the employees and the organisation can get obvious rewards from that. So I'm going to put this one again out to the team. How might one go about motivating their people through um, communication? Who, who, who wants to kick that one off? I'll go. Um, Can you take it? Yeah, I'll go. Um, I, I think the, the key to motivation um, is about actually that we're not all motivated by the same thing. Um, and so if you're wanting to motivate somebody, you have to go and find out what that is. Um, and um, 
I think that's the start point. So you have to know what motivates them just by asking and observing to Matt's previous point. Um, but there's also subtle things you can do. So mirroring their language um, is quite a nice way of um, influencing them and motivating them. And I guess it's about helping them feel heard as well as um, being communicated to. Um, so I think it's about understanding their key drivers and what's going to motivate this person um, and don't assume that that's probably how you would want to receive it um, and that take everybody as an individual um, but mirroring is quite a good way of also motivating people so mirroring their language mirroring their style mirroring their you know their body language as well yeah great Pick up on it. Great so points. um it's all the important stuff um um, it's a great question in from Mike Johnston. Hi Mike, nice to have you on the webinar this morning, really lovely to see you, hope you're good. Um, he's sort of picking up on um, the fact that you know when you have got time to do formal communication you know there's no excuse for not preparing right. Um, um, but then you know we often talk about moments of leadership so the real challenge of leadership is when something comes at you unexpected so you know, a classic forum for that might be just in the corridor or just in a meeting somewhere. It might also just be in a formal communication session where you get a question in and it's slightly left field um, and you've got to just catch it on the rise. Uh, and I think that's just a really big challenge. So adding on to Rosanna's point of view, I think um, being ready to handle the key topics uh, all times is also a compelling need for, for leaders, you know, a little bit beyond the sort of the classic um, you know, uh, simple kind of key ideas that you're communicating around. I think also being ready to handle other ones. And I think it's incumbent on all of us to think around the topics um, and to uh, exercise our intelligence to think about them from different directions. I think that can be hugely valuable in terms of having a, you know, a senior council or board around you to hear different perspectives, um, to pick up on feedback that's coming up and see what people are saying about things so you can respond to them. So there should be like a constant feedback loop, I think. And from a leader's perspective, you should be thinking about that a lot and preparing yourself. Um, I'm a strong believer in key messages. Um, and I think that can be super helpful. So having some simple, you know, milestones or waypoints or key ideas about where we're going right now, which that simplicity is always really helpful. And keeping the message super simple is always really helpful for the big set pieces. And you can obviously go in more detail and meet people one on one. So that can be that can be useful. And then my final point would be to really think about core values because I think if you can work out what your authentic values are and start to consciously use those as reference points for how you will handle things, you know, your purpose may be the same, but your values will change the way you respond to it. And I think that speaks to communication. It's about how we will tackle this rather than what we're doing specifically, which often is where the communication needs to be clearer. It's don't we agree with where we're headed but I don't like the way you're doing it is you know often often what's the issue so so having your values really clear and having them shared uh, so that people know them uh, it gives you a reference point you can say look you know we know that our core value is so and so so you'd as you'd expect in this case this is what we're going to do um, and uh, and just keeping that reference point for sort of key principles of communication or key principles of um, your organization can really help um, when you get tackled with something unexpected, because either it'll come in and it's within your values or it's not. So you can kind of take it that way. I think that's I think that's helpful. Yeah, I, I think yeah. you make a, a good point about uh, 
preparation there, Nick. Um, I think it's it's important not to take it for granted that communication and emotional intelligence uh, just comes to everybody. Um, it doesn't. It comes in varying degrees, and it is something like everything else that is good to practice. Um, I mean, emotional intelligence in particular comes in a, a huge range to different people, um, and people continue to improve throughout their life. It's um, interesting. It's actually it's governed in the last part of your brain, which becomes anatomically mature. Um, so it's the slowest thing which will come naturally to you. So it, it makes it especially important to continue to get feedback on how you're communicating, um, you know, your emotional intelligence with people and make sure it's something you practice throughout your career. Yeah, great point. Great point, Matt. Um, I think all of this um, um, brings about a need for consistency and trust. Um, talking about values, um, I think it, what 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 teams are looking for from leaders is um, a consistency of messaging and the fact that they can they can have trust that they're being led in the right way. Um, and and you risk that by through inconsistency. Nick, you've got something to add? Yeah, I think David Hill has just picked up on this. Hi, David. Nice to have you on board. Um, just to make the point about uh, that specific point, um, and I think so he's referencing in his question about you know the initial COVID communication, which was quite straightforward and quite simple. And I guess to be fair, the government situation was clearer at that point. So it, it is harder at this point because really it's up to us, it's up to the entrepreneurs to invent the way out. It's not really up to the government anymore. They just need to get behind us and support us, but it's up to us to make business come back. So. You know, super challenging. But um, I think the point he makes, which really stood out, stands out for me, is that what you say has to be backed up with with what you do to your trust point. And I think that is a big issue for the government right now because a lot of what they say doesn't feel backed up by what they've done. So, you know, there's like clear question marks over the authenticity of it. And I think that as soon as you get that kind of chink in the armor on communication, people don't believe what you're saying anymore because they're following what you do. And obviously, that seems more authentic than your words always. So um, that's a big point, I think, about, about being consistent with words and actions, taking it that way. Thanks, Nick, and thanks, David. Uh, I'm gonna crack on. Um, I'm gonna talk about uh, the power of nonverbal communication. Um, so this is quite an old study carried out um, in California, I believe, in the 70s by Dr. Albert Morabian, who discovered the power of nonverbal and he came up with a theory known as Moravian's communication theory, or some of you might have heard of it, is the, um, the 738-55 model. Um, he, he found that the influence of non-verbal communication is stronger than was first assumed. Um, and and he, he developed this model which demonstrated that only 7% of what we communicate consists of literal content of the message. The use of one's voice, such as tone, intonation and volume, take up about 38%. And as much as 55% of our communication consists of body language. I mean, how does that work when we're all sat in little windows in webinars in today's world? Um, you know, because we're communicating from the shoulders and above. Um, but I do suggest we consider it when uh, communication is critical because it's, um, it's a really good checkpoint. Um, 
how can it be explained that a person only really listens to 7% of the substantive message? Um, well, Moravian argues that it's an inbuilt natural instinct. And the first human had an undeve undeveloped voice and was dependent on nonverbal communication and the utterance of sound. Uh, so, um, Moravian states that the nonverbal communication is deeply rooted in the brain and responsible for reverting to this way of communicating almost instinctively. Um, so, we're just going to look at what each element means. Um, so, the word spoken, this is actually what's coming out of your mouth, what's being said as part of the verbal communication element here. And then the intonation is, is the um, the vocal factor. So it's how you actually um, communicate through the tone of your voice, because that can have a, a profound effect. I mean, if you think about the different examples of that, I'm not going to do because that would be strange. Um, and then there's the body language. Um, so which posture you adopt? How, how many of us actually think about the posture that we adopt when we're speaking? Um, so again, I'm going to put this one back out to the team. Um, I don't know whether you guys have got any comments on this one. Well, I'm sort of just uh, mildly laughing to myself because um, I've had to dog sit my sister's dog um, uh, this week. And uh, so the instructions, I was like, so what's the instruction for uh, like off? Is it off or is it down? I'm not a dog owner. Um, um, and she said, well, it doesn't actually really matter. She'll just know by the way you say it. So um, I think this is like quite, a, quite a cool point because actually if you just point and say anything with the tone of, you're going outside or in your pen or whatever it is and the dog knows what to do and um so but um i just thought it was quite a nice example of how the tone of the way you speak it is from our animalistic um you know it wow. is that it's that instinct and we, we're so much more receptive to tone than um, and, and there's so much research about it. So you say, um, Nick, you were probably better place to say the research, but just the, the way things are said, you can get so much meaning about a story just from the tone. Um, so I just thought it'd be quite, I was just finding it funny. Um, I'm going to pick up on this one because um, as a leadership consultancy, a lot of our business turnaround work is fundamentally rooted in um, clear communications at the highest level. So he, you know, a complicated way of saying it, you resolve, resolve problems in senior people's business relationship and trust by getting alignment about a future plan that they all want to achieve together so it's a sort of a relationship fix play if you like but a simpler way of putting it is that it's all in the communication so um, um, you know in in many clients where um, at the top table there are you know problems that have risen over the years the channels of communication are just blocked and so a fundamental piece of work for us to do is to open those up so that people are hearing each other properly and respecting points of view. And, you know, and then stay, don't stay, agree, don't agree, that's all fine. But the problem we have is that they are uh, basically stonewalling or not listening in the first instance, which means you can't really organise anything because the leadership team is not aligned around some key points. Um, Gottman has some fantastic research on this. There's um, Also, you may have seen a guy called Paul Ekman who looks at micro expressions so these are expressions which take place in a 15th of a second he claims they're universal there's some controversy whether they are or they aren't but you can see them in people so you pick up um you know shock surprise fear contempt all that kind of stuff and you can you can see it so it's quite interesting Gottman is probably better and that's to Rosanna's point about tone 
they really pick up on tone uh, as well as expression uh, and you also see the emotion so you might see flush or anger or whatever um, and of course there's a reaction to that straight away so the four horsemen of the apocalypse from from Gottman are um, criticism contempt defensiveness and stonewalling and the research is that you can pick those things up those essences up just in the tone of voice so you don't even have to hear the words just like the dog training you hear contempt in the tone you know so it doesn't you know you can say i didn't say that but we we all heard that right so you definitely didn't say something contemptuous but with your with your tone you implied massive contempt and now we're all defensive and we don't want to listen to you anymore so and then you see uh, really interesting counterpositions i see it in board meetings all the time where suddenly someone really important is pretty much sulking and um, has closed down their ears and is stonewalling the entire group and now we think well now how do we handle this agenda point because you're stonewalling so we have to tease you out of that cave make you feel better and get you back into the convo uh, so that we can just get free flow of information going, which is really all we need, just flow the information. So, Rosanna, sorry. No, I was just gonna, I think that's a really cool point, just linking it back to emotional intelligence then, it's about how, are we deliberately um, using that tone? Are we conscious about the tone that we're using? Because sometimes it is good to sort of deliberately use the tone, but sometimes we're not aware because emotions of, you know, risen up, and we we're sometimes not aware. Um, and so, actually, having a conversation, I can see you're getting upset or irritated. Is is that right? Am I wrong? To check on whether what you're observing, what you're observing of that person is is true. But often, especially on, as you say, Nick, the more complex and the more uh, business critical decisions, and um, you know, it, they are emotional because they're high stakes. So are we even aware of what sort of tone of voice to use to be able to get our message across and to be able to make a decision? Um, so I think that's the emotional intelligence point, it's about conscious tone of voice, not just the words, as Dave was saying. I'll pick that back up and just say that, like, you know, there are different points we want to have a different impact with our communications as leaders. So um, the ability to have a, a high intelligence level, the social intelligence and emotional intelligence point around the board so that you can argue out these things so that when the message goes out, everyone is aligned around it and will support it. That's obviously fundamental. It's like a foundational stone for good communication, especially during this crisis time where, you know, the alternatives are quite compelling. And, you know, you're thinking about what emotional impact you want to have and also what is the to do that you want to get across. So both those two points are really important. Do you want people to feel more confident? Do you want them to stop? You know, so um, having that impact emotionally is really important um, and, and getting the message through about what they should do, which again, should come back to some sort of really simple, simple kind of points, which you can then elaborate one-on-one. -on -one. Um, but um, you say, Rosanna, being conscious of the emotional side of it and therefore also understanding the tone that's needed as well as the simple, words in the message those it's complicated to get this right it's complicated and it often requires argument and compromise to get the core message right and then you've got to make sure that you hit the emotional rhythm that you're looking for uh with people so anyway yeah it's it's interesting um you know on a point david made uh, at the start of this slide um with everybody being reduced to little boxes at the top of people's screens uh, we're taking 55% of um, our ability to communicate away from the body language. Um, so now we're left in a position where if we want to convey points which are very complicated 
or very important, we're left trying to build on uh, probably our tone. So we're probably all very aware of our spoken words. Um, so we're left with 38% tone to try and work on to convey that missing chunk of body language. Um, and you can see, I, I suspect it's part of body language which tells people who is thinking about speaking next, which makes it so tough to communicate in large groups on, uh, on little windows. It's very hard to see who's queuing up for the next comment because you can't sense their, their body language queuing up the next thing they're going to say. Um, so I'd be really interested to see how it plays out and how people um, adjust and adapt to communication now that we're uh, far more regularly practicing uh, non-standard ways of communicating. Great, great points all around, guys. I mean, um, the the consciousness element um, it, it can it can be learned, and I think it, it it we have to start with that, even whether we're in a little box in a window or whether we're in a boardroom in person, because without the consciousness of the self, you can't begin to uh, empathise with those around you. So I think it will happen over time. I think we will learn to pick up the little cues, people in boxes on screens, in the same way that we do in boardrooms. That is, of course, if we don't end up kind of piling back into the workplace. Nick, did you want to add? Also, just noticed Rosanna's got a hand up. So do you want to go first, Rosanna? And then I've just got a couple of comments from the audience to throw in. Very good. Yeah, no, I was, I was just going to say, because we're in this um, more um, arm's length sort of communication, it's interesting. I think people are a lot more polite. Um, and we, obviously we facilitate and we often facilitate around quite difficult conversations or decisions that need to be made. Um, and an observation is that often means that people interrupt each other um, and that's habitual and I'm not sure, you know, often they don't know that they're doing it. It's just uh, it's free reign. And in a way, having this separation makes people a lot more aware of how when they should be communicating what their point is uh, wait till the other person's finished actually so um, whilst it is more difficult it's also um showing to me that actually it's more of a polite way there's more of an order of communication which is just interesting um i've got a hand up which is an unusual for us i think this is the first on go to meeting i've got a hand up from michael shapiro so, um, Michael, it's lovely to have you on. Um, I see your hand is up. Um, so I'm going to open your mic in a minute. So just want to give you a moment to be ready for your mic to be opened, okay? So this is your heads up, 30 second warning. Um, I'll come back to you in just a tick. So some great points made by Mike, again, just uh, to the earlier point about simplicity, Mike's talking about having um, you know, brand guidelines, I guess, copy platform, that kind of stuff, which is a really important service that marketing businesses provide to us all, um, really vital, uh, and which is fundamental to organizing our communication style and, you know, picking up on the visual side of this and the tonal side of this, which is, you know, you can get great help out from from good marketing advisors like, like Mike and, and his ilk to help with that. And then David Hill's just making a wonderful point about comedians just on this sort of um, the body language point, which is that um, they can, you know, uh, rattle on stage and make us laugh before they've said a thing. So, you know, what is that a special magic that people have? And I think as a leader, it's worth actually following comedians. We've worked quite closely with um, Emma, Emma Stroud, who's a great communicator and trainer on this. Um, just just so great to be exposed to people like that, have that ability to just use their body and create an emotional response. It's, uh, it's very cool. 
So look, I'm gonna come back to Michael Shapiro and I'm hoping he's there. If he's not, there'll be an awkward silence, but let's see. I'm gonna open this mic and, Michael, are you ready? You're, Michael, you are unmuted, I think. Maybe I can't unmute him. I've unmuted you, Michael. Yeah, we have got the awkward silence. Um, Michael, if you've got something you want to say, can you pile it into the questions area and we'll pick it up that way and I'm going to put your hand down. Good idea. Good idea. Um, thanks, guys. There's some really, really great points about the power of non-verbal communication coming through there. Um, and interestingly, whilst this um, this model was created, I think, in 1971, it's interesting how we're still using it 50 years later uh, in the context of webinars, when webinars weren't a thing, uh, to consider how we communicate with the outside world. So. Um, um, I'm going to move on to our summary, guys, because we're running uh, up against the bumpers here. Um, we've looked at some good and bad examples and how to do it and how not to do it and what works well. Um, I think what's what's come out of it for me, and I've made some notes here, is, um, and I'll put this back out to you guys for, for a final word on this in a minute, it's about um, registration and confirmation. I think it's about that conscious awareness of the people that you're communicating with. Um, a, a more um, purposeful understanding of the person that you're communicating with is absolutely key. I think, um, it, it, especially if you need to understand their motivations and get the best out of that person. Um, so you've really got to consider your audience and if you can do that, ideally you do it in advance. And then you adjust your language and any terms that you, you use in language, you, you need to you need to make sure that you're on the same level as that person if you're going to communicate in a meaningful way. And don't forget your body language and tone because it it really does play a big part in um, how those messages are not just delivered but how they're registered and then understood and how that person goes off into the world and does things with it. Um, and and I've included on the bottom of this slide just before I come out to you guys, uh, one of my favourite quotes from one of my favorite people who I've never met but follow um, quite closely now um, and that's the space in between words is often more important than the words themselves um, and whilst um, I haven't practiced that space here in a webinar because um, we're up against time and you wouldn't thank me for it um, it really is important um, and if you were to explore Mr. Eckhart Tolle and his um, teachings, you will see exactly what I mean about the way he speaks. Um, uh, an incredibly enlightening character. Um, uh, but but the, the, the message in there is one that we can definitely take away from here. And just think about the space, not just whilst you're speaking, but beforehand. So I'm going to put this out to the guys for um, closing comments before we finish up the session. Um, does anybody want to um, put the icing on the cake here? I don't. Well, I don't know if this is icing, <laughs> but um, the um, I was just thinking. There's lots of um, things we've spoken about, and um, actually, it comes back to looking after yourself. So if you've got a really important message to deliver making sure that you're sleeping well so that you can articula articulate yourself clearly 
but also drinking water. Uh, David and I were talking about how drinking water before we're doing a video or a webinar is really important to get that clarity of your voice and how much confidence comes out of your voice. So there's lots of things we can all be doing, but actually going back to the basics as well, just by eating right, drinking water and sleeping well, are also just like really big hitters when being able to communicate well. Yeah, great points. Great points. I know it makes a big difference to me. Nick? Um, I don't know whether we're wrapping up. I've got some questions coming and we can take them after the 45 if you wish. Um, um, Michael's point has now come in so I can just tell everyone in the group. And I, this resonates with me because we've been just opening up the offices and getting back in a few days a week. And um, I have to say my personal experience of the pleasure of being in somebody else's company is uh, amazing. The, you know, the, the, uh, I'm not going to say no whether it was unexpected, but the feeling was noticeable, notable feeling of um, of pleasure just seeing colleagues face to face and actually being around people was great. His point is that uh, so much is lost actually in this online Teams environment that he makes sure that he gets everybody in uh, for team meetings. I guess they've got their social distancing in place and, and that's a that's a compliant kind of approach, but. Um, um, that's what he's doing, making sure everyone is actually physically present. And there's so much more. Is it, you know, you having lost it for such a long time, you notice the richness of it when you get it back. It's great. There's some other points here from some of the other audience members. We can maybe pick them up in Q and A. Thanks, Nick. Okay, um, I'm going to wrap the session up so that we finish on time. But we will continue after the closing slide for uh, those that want and have time to stay on with us. And I thank you for doing that. Um, I just want to let people know about um, the next Strategy Cafe, uh, the Leader Roundtable 2, we're calling it. For those that know, we um, we had uh, the um, the wonderful company of Elizabeth Bagger, Kate Cooper, Matt Earl and Giles Fuchs, um, all of which are leaders in their own uh, fields. And they came on early in May in the grip of the lockdown and um, spoke to us about how they were managing in the crisis. And they're coming back to us at the end of July, which we're really excited about. That's gonna be a great session. Um, so I encourage people to sign up for that. Um, and if you want to watch the previous one back, um, I think it's in the email that will be coming out to you in the next few days, but you can get it from our YouTube channel. So do go and have a look at it. It'll set you up for this one. Um, so I encourage you to do that. Um, other than that, I just want to say thanks to everybody for coming along today uh, and to the team for contributions and anybody that's fired in any uh, of their questions. For those that we haven't got to, um, we'll get to those now. Nick's on question control, so I'll hand over to him in a second. But um, thanks so much. I, I hope it's been useful. Um, I've very much enjoyed firstly putting it together and doing it. And um, I'm, hopefully it's given you something to um, kick off Thursday with a great start. Thanks, guys. Thanks, David. Right, over to you. Great job. For the unofficial Q&A. Thank you. I really enjoyed that. Um, so um, uh, I guess this is Strategy Cafe, an extra slice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how many slices we might get, but um, there's a good point here that we did talk about, actually, but we didn't actually touch on the slides, which is about um, written communication and how dangerous it is. This is from David uh, Hill, who's been listening this morning and has been contributing brilliantly with his questions um and comments um and we were chatting about this the other day uh, it's definitely um well the 
I think there's there's two points that we covered away, which you can maybe you guys can pick up on. So one is that in um, the spoken word, um, it's if it's unprepared, um, it's typically a bit of a mess. Um, there's no um, not none of the same organisation that you get when you write it down. So you don't have you don't normally have a sentence structure. <clears throat> I'm struggling here, so you can tell I'm trying to I'm trying to meta demonstrate my point. Um, when you actually then get to writing it down, you've got more opportunity to give it, um, you know, a, a summary and a conclusion, and to make your points succinctly. And there's some great training around that. But you can easily get it wrong, and so getting the written communication right is really super important, and can cause all sorts of problems if it's not done well. But then we were just chatting about the different channels for written communication. So you know, classically, the Teams chat, um, the text, um, you know, the email. There's so many channels for messages these days. I just wondered what your thoughts and points were on, from a leadership point of view, getting that stuff right. Um, I think you'd need to add in things like um, people's tendency to uh, use shorthand language, abbreviations, now emojis, and words that are conjoined that aren't necessarily words. I think the whole language the, the act of using language and understanding the recipient um, is it's changed. It's changed. I'm I'm a stickler for putting a full stop on the end of things, even if it's just a casual text to my mum or my wife or anybody. I don't know why. It's just it's just been it's been born into me somehow now, and I can't not. If you see me do it, it's it's because I've slipped. And so I think in in that respect, you know, um, punctuation plays a big part in in um, in the, the meaning of the message. Um, so I think you, you've got to be mindful of the purpose of the message that you're actually sending out to the world, and then how it will be perceived by the recipient, and and then kind of it's got to be grounded in the level of importance of what it is that you're attempting to communicate. I think I think yeah I completely agree um David and I also think like about leadership if you the different written forms of communication as Nick was saying you get more feedback on these slack channels teams chat um um and in a way as a leader if you genuinely want feedback um writing it in an email where you it's harder for people to give feedback by email than via these more um, iterative communication channels, then do it in another way. So you've got to think about actually how people, if you're actually asking for feedback, how is it easiest for people to feedback? Um, because asking for feedback at the bottom of quite a well-scripted, you know, it feels quite fixed, feels quite that's the way it is. And then to ask for feedback, I just think, it's more difficult for people so I think you've got to think about actually how people are going to respond it's not just okay to ask the question you have to ask the question in the right way in the right channel um, and I think that's the real value of these chats because you can just go huh question mark um, and that's okay I've got maybe one one final comment and I think maybe we then should just wrap up for the morning and let the final uh, listeners go but has anyone else got to uh, like one thing to add on this topic before I have my 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 wrap-up point no go for it 
so I was just thinking more in terms of um, you know the, the the resonance around this can typically be in an email chain among senior leaders where yeah there's a bit of a fallout uh, and suddenly you get a stack up of emails around Robin and it's getting a bit hateful um, and uh, so you know so there's two sides to think to managing that which I think is just worth talking about so from a leadership perspective I think it's really important to be conscious of the more difficult decisions and set up the culture of the leadership team to acknowledge consciously the danger of this and to have a practice of communication which is better than that so we'd set it up in a charter or something like that which we have everyone to sign up to which is more speak to each other less text or email each other so the emails are great if the channel is open and communication is fine but as soon as it gets tricky you have to pull that down and get on a call uh, and improve the quantity of the interaction so that people can get back to hearing proper tone of voice. Um, if it's all gone wrong and that uh, hate channel has kicked off and the written communication has been misinterpreted and you start to get some of those big accusations coming in, you have besmirched a colleague, how dare you, how very dare you, all that kind of stuff, um, then I think you've got to step in uh, at some point and say, uh, look, let's take this down, let's move offline, uh, we need to we need to get together and just talk this out. Uh, so somebody needs to take the responsibility for um, you know pulling that back into a more constructive conversation. Sometimes you need to give that a bit of time so the emotions can subside. Um, just as a good practice point, don't respond to those things because it just feeds the temper. Uh, leave them for at least a day and think about your response before replying is always a good tip. Um, and then I just think the last thing that you can do is try and find a way of reaching into that you know, miscommunication that's going through written communication by email typically these days um, and just say, look, um, I hope you can take this in the spirit it's intended. It's coming from a good place. What I want to try and get to in my response to this is this purpose and then make your point. So maybe soften it up and try and, without being too preachy, bring people back in to actually maybe I've gone wrong here and just remind them of that so I think that kind of approach can be can be helpful um, yeah and David's just sort of commenting back in here so the key thing here is pick the phone up and I think that's absolutely right so we also have that in the jar so if you you know always always speak speak in person speak on the phone email last uh, and then all other channels are just okay for um, you know the chat as long as the chat is open Yeah, thank great you point. for the wonderful um, questioning contribution from everybody this morning. I'm going to hand back to David. Okay, um, thanks a lot, guys. Um, enjoyed the extra slice. Um, it's kind of like a special bit at the end. Um, thanks for staying on, you guys. Um, this uh, recording will end up on YouTube and we'll send uh, uh, it out if you want to play it back again afterwards. Uh, so thanks again. Thanks to the team. Thanks to the listeners. Uh, I'm going to wrap up now. Thanks, everybody. Right on. Yes.